one, two, three, four. Penis. penis. That sounded about right. All right, that'll work. We'll figure that one out. When I caught a reflection of you and me Staring back at us while frozen on the screen Crack the white noise and pretend that we're asleep We're asleep, dream, 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 dream Sky dream. Was that the sky you dreamed of, Joe? Uh, I wasn't dreaming of any sky, but I guess if I did, it would be Jeff Rosenstock doing alt-rock sky. Yeah, I think that's what is, uh, that's how I feel about it. I, uh, I guess I was, if I'd thought about it, I would have said I was, I would expect somebody to try to revive 90s ska, uh, at some point. But I honestly cannot think of anybody who has tried. Uh, obviously, I do not have my finger on the pulse of the ska community and the many bands who are no doubt uh, applying that. <laughs> who are trade. no doubt applying <laughs> that. Oh, I did not mean to do that. Um, but uh, I'm sure some people have stuck it out the whole time is what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, this is the first I can think of some non-ska person being like, uh, let's revive the ska I loved 25 fucking years ago now which is a long time yeah i kind of know i knew that jeff rosenstock was in a ska band oh i did not know that (laughs) because i like i just follow several of the people that are in like the philadelphia like like indie music scene on instagram right so like the person who leads that ska band who i think it doesn't live in philly anymore is like um the bruce lee band i was like oh this is interesting who's in this band and it was like oh jeff rosenstock is in this band or like tours with them (laughs) i'm like okay makes me i mean it it, i got the vague impression that like ska continues to exist as part now as like part of like uh the overall resurrection of the 90s by the um by the rock musicians of today (laughs) That's my point, I guess, is I, I knew, I, I assume that every uh, music genre, no matter how stupid, has some people who are still enthusiasts and have been the whole time. Um, uh, but I did, uh, but, you know, it's uh, every once in a while there's a cycle where these things become a little bit of a fad again. And I'm wondering, is this I, that moment I also ska? I don't know, like, I, I don't know enough about ska. I guess we should explain to the, like, two other people that will listen to this that um Jeff Rosenstock remade his uh absolutely awesome album No Dream as a ska album called Ska Dream. And Okay, so I've been kind of out of it and not paying attention to things and I didn't even know that was the theme and I was seriously about to say I feel like this is a Jeff Rosenstock song I've already heard re-recorded as ska. This whole so, album now I get it. <laughs> this makes so much sense now. <laughs> well, that's why he when he announced it on April Fools and like you know oh. people were like ha ha like this is you know like a silly <laughs> and then you know it turned out to be real. It turned yeah. This is like the the all meows all cat sounds version of the of RTJ three or whichever run the jewels album. Yes. That was. Although that was that was a joke because they never thought anyone would like get together the ten thousand yeah. dollars 
or whatever yes. for it. Yeah, it was a stretch goal on their their Kickstarter or something. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but I think this is probably better than Meow the Dreams, because Meow the Dreams was kind of unlistenable. Um, I did not listen to it. That's how unlistenable I, I, it was. I tried a few <laughs> tracks, and I was like, I can't get over yeah. the... I just need to listen. Why would you listen to this instead of the real? It's like, I'm happy it exists. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that they made that joke and then that people called their shit and then that they, they manned up and did it, but nobody needs to listen to the results. It's Uh, like somebody climbing a mountain. It's cool that they did it. I don't need to like experience what they experienced to think that. Yeah. And, and, um, I think the, the internet uh, encourages such novelty more for the hype than the actual product. Not that that's yes. um, unique to music in any way, but... Oh, no, not at all. That's just an internet thing. Like, oh, this idea is so dumb. We have to, you know, be chaotic and all get really enthusiastic about it. And then keep going no matter how real it gets and act like it's very twee and cool. Well, and like I, it's even to me more that that it's genuinely exciting. In a in a a way, in a you know, perhaps slightly chaotic, chaotic neutral way, at least <laughs> to be like, oh, you know, uh, uh, Phoebe Bridgers is remaking her album as black metal. And to be like, it's actually happening and like kind of the thinking about it actually like coming out and like, you know, the, the speculation is like uh, the communal buzz prior to actually listening to the album is kind of is the thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah, totally. And Phoebe Bridger but, should make a black metal album. I was hoping that was real. Actually, yeah. black metal sucks, but, you know, it does. There's some metal that is good. We've had this conversation. Wait, wait. Actually, black metal might be the one that I kind of like. There's one that's good, except for when they start singing, and then I'm out. Um, Is that, that that's like the, I'm not, I can't think it, now I'm not going to be able to think of the name of the band, where like the music, the music is like a 10, and the guy screaming is like a 1. Yeah. Is that Death Heaven? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. For me, pretty much. Yes, we're Um, right there. (laughs) back to shit on metal after six months yes it's only been four <laughs> uh uh i will say for our listener our dear dear listeners that i now live in beautiful maryland uh, and okinawa now we're gonna be getting hits from okinawa japan now that my sister martha has moved there there we go but she's she still hasn't been on the podcast so true you know someday but she probably is our most most faithful listener, I would guess. That's that's uh you know her and Jacob, I think hold. The oh really? Ground. Yeah. Jacob's on there. Oh yeah, that of course Jacob. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> we DJ'd his bachelor party. It's true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. So I think that uh uh, that, yeah they're they're in close competition. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife's behind way behind um so's mine mm, there you go uh (laughs) counters low there um a lot of content to put out there i was thinking about some older content uh of ours somewhere um early on one of the early episodes i made a comment that I was impressed that you and I, even like in our thirties, were still really into new music. Mm-hmm. And it's like it seemed like we were gonna keep being into it. And you said, Well, you know, we're getting towards thirty-five. This was a long time ago. We're Jesus. getting we were getting toward like, oh, we're about to be thirty-five. This is probably when most people stop. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that because um the aforementioned wife was just saying she has like not cut up a new music at all. Like even for her, like it's behind. And I was like, I kind of been feeling that same way too. Like, I, I don't know it, Paul, do, do we still, do we still care about new music? 
it is very funny that you would bring this up because uh so my routine as i think i've described is to just check out new stuff on pitchfork every day mm-hmm. and somewhere in the middle of last year i just like fell off the wagon yeah um <laughs> and so like i am like way behind and don't know what the fuck is going on at all i'm still like clinging to the dream because that's the kind of maniac i am and uh uh am um working through pitchfork uh august 2020 right now um but uh i think i might have to just give up on that at some point and just scan through for people whose names i know to make sure i don't miss anything i really want to read um or check out because um yeah, I don't know. I, I've been thinking like, yeah, am I, am I actually missing something? Am I sorry that I am not doing this thing anymore? Um, mm-hmm. In some ways, it's a relief to not be thinking about it at all. And it is funny that I actually probably should have been able to keep up better than ever during the pandemic, considering how much less time I had to spend going you know, to other physical places and, uh, and so forth. Um, so... Uh, I think to answer your question for real, I'm going to have to try to get back into new music once more and see if I, uh, if I find like, Oh shit. Yeah. I was missing all this. That's really the test. I think at this point. Yeah. That's I, for me, I think that I somewhere in the pandemic, which, you know, I can't, I can't know what would have happened without that there's no like test test case um uh so somewhere within that the pandemic i kind of went from you know hey listening to a lot of like the indie rock stations on the radio that i get on my alexa um and still listening to the radio in the car a lot and picking up on new stuff like that just kind of like dropped off um so mm-hmm. where I weirdly, because I send out like my annual mix of new songs, I had a ton from last year. But then I felt like even as I did that, I was like, I this just feels like it was like the the, the like the last the the last gasp, or just like I don't know, like or it feels yeah. like it was a tremendous effort. And oh really? I can't just like I can't. I don't know that I'm gonna like when am I ever going to find time to like, listen to that much new music? Yeah. If you're not driving around or in the setting that you want to be in, not so much, even the driving, just the, uh, yeah, the, uh, it's, it's bizarre that the same places where I used to listen to music, I just like, don't listen to it as much anymore. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened to me. Like I said, I, you know, I used to do that sort of like, you know, initial scouting of new music at work, um, and I'm still at work and I just haven't been doing it. So, um, yeah, the lack of an office is <laughs> somehow really, even though that's like maybe one of my least favorite places to like, l- like listen to music. I still like did a lot of the grunt work of, you know, listening to an album for the first time at the better moments at the office. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I might've mentioned this too at one point. I strangely, uh, have had some real experiences with music in the office m- more when I was younger, <laughs> which is a thing I can say now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but like, there was like a period where I suddenly discovered like, man, I'm really into to listening to fucked up shoo shoo music uh, while I'm just sitting in the middle of a bunch of people in this open office environment I was working in at the time. And I was like, I don't know why this is actually working. Maybe it's like actually the juxtaposition of the uh, zero emotional stakes of the, uh, uh, you know, alienated labor and performing mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, 100% emotional stakes of Shushu in particular. But um, yeah, I don't know. There can be there for me, there's a way to uh, actually enjoy the weirdness of that setting somehow um, and, or enjoy the weirdness of just completely banging my head to like you know mad lib or something and then somebody just walking in and me be like oh fuck <laughs> i look like an idiot <laughs> well that's someone might some might say that we're not angsty enough to uh, you know get it as into music but i think that the word alienated where comes to mind we're like i i feel like less alienated on a day-to-day basis so mm. that um uh not that that's true actually not that there aren't extreme alienating forces in the suburbs, but 
<laughs> it's less than sitting in an office for eight hours a day. Yeah. No shit. That's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it is that I'm just like chilling at home and I just like, I don't need music to distract me from being in this terrible place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you have different distractions now that you feel like, yes, like you would rather? Well, part of it is that I've been doing more technical stuff since working at home for, during the pandemic, which um, does a better job of just absorbing all of my focus. And uh, I'm just like not even thinking about the soundscape around me. So I don't like, I don't feel like a, like, ah, shit, I should be listening to music right now as much just because my brain is working just fine. I actually can listen to music while doing that work. It's more that, um, you know, I'll just sit down and be like, oh, yeah, I want to I get this thing done. And then it's been two hours and I didn't listen to anything the whole time. You, you just, you're just listening to the random acid music generator that we found. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess, honestly, that thing kind of taught me exactly what acid music is. Um, I didn't actually listen to that either. (laughs) Behind even on the meme bullshit that we share. Oh, damn. You got to play the... Well, let's play it right now. Load up the acid generator. Is it in the music thread? Oh, I don't know. But we're back. We're on Discord, baby. Yeah, we are. Yeah, there it is. Oh, there we go. That's why <laughs> great music for driving a boat too. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. No, um, I don't think I knew that acid was the name for that, but having made a fair number of electronic tracks, uh, I do start to hear like how much it is just the DJ setting up a pattern and then just like pushing faders around and which faders he's pushing for sure. I just, for some reason that really like the generic acid, like, Gets yeah. me thinking of like Val Kilmer is getting pursued by like <laughs> cyborgs through like a back alley. Mm-hmm. Yes, a woman with a platinum buzz cut. Yes, behind him. Yes, beautiful. Um, <laughs> more ways than one. Um, <laughs> to bring it home with this discussion. Yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see whether we can improve post-pandemic. Um, not that I'm going back to the office, which is now several thousand miles from where I am. So, mm-hmm. yes, I actually did agree to go back to the office <laughs> after all I just said uh, for three days a week, anyway, just yeah. to be able to keep my office and you know, sort of big dick people about it. That sounds like a, that's a good reason to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were going to give it away to somebody else otherwise. Oh, Jesus, God. <laughs> I'm not can't. going back to pleb status. Yeah, you can't be out in the pool. The typing pool. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a whole other issue at work. Um, <laughs> uh, um, By the way, if anybody wants to listen to the Endless Acid Banger, which allows you to, you might have been able to tell I was messing around with the settings a little bit while it was going. But you can go to, just Google that, whatever, the Endless Acid Banger. I'm not telling you a URL. It's 2021. URLs are going to be gone someday. Um, Pretty, yeah. At some point, iOS will try to just like abstract them away. So all you see is like an icon. And that represents everything you ever touch. Yes, correct. Actually, Google is kind of trying to do it, too, since they're trying to make every website and app into a progressive web app that kind of does both things. Mm, interesting. 
Yeah. Will that will that change how we listen to music next time uh, on the worst exactly. music pod ever? <laughs> Which isn't this one. That's like yeah. just a one. It's a one or two rungs below us. I mean, it will change how we listen to music to some extent when Spotify inevitably does that. If indeed they do, they might want to own their own shit forever. Uh, they might. Yeah, they might. Um. Uh, I I don't. We have to play our theme song, and I no longer remember how that works. Yeah, you'll just edit that in later. Yeah, I don't have a button that says theme song. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. Not. I'm not sure. We I... could just sing it. <laughs> cool AD would come. Would retroactively revoke our right to play his song. I think, and and as well, he ought. Yeah, that on the final episode of Savage Beast, it's just going to be you and me, uh, trying to replicate his rap for the whole three <laughs> and a half hours from memory. <laughs> yeah, just not having listened to it. But we have to be hitting a, the bong every 12 minutes the entire time. <laughs> yes, yes, you don't stop. Cool AD, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking stop, dollar stop. freestyle. <laughs> I, I can't, yeah, for something, something. That's where it ends. Yeah, you've probably actually listened to it way more than I have I've, since I hardly ever listened to the episodes. Well, I've listened, it in. <laughs> I've listened to the first 10 seconds like a lot. Because yeah. I'm always editing the drop in, yeah. Um, like right here. <laughs> no, no, right <Beautiful>. here. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes, yes, and you don't stop. Cool ID, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar for the style for you and your mind. Come on, yeah. You can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast. Slightly above average at least Nah, preference is relative My references consistently uh, Bring you to another vicinity I hit you with the riddles consistently Dead in the middle, a little triply Little did we know that we triggered a fissure In the metaphysical imagery Elegant painted in oil Love is a flower, see how Dissolving the power Is dissolving the hours as well The tower, a bell at the top of it A hawk, a pigeon, a dove vision of love, an eagle, a falcon even, the gold coin in the talon that was um, prophesized upon earlier papyruses, gazing to the irises of infinite osiruses, hieroglyphical, visual, style, habitual, scriptural, uh, kick verses, verses, ghosts, hovering above them, cold stuttering, skips in the tape, a vision of lake, a cold... And welcome to Savage Beast, I'm Joe Gallagher, uh, with me as always, uh, here... To pitch his novel with a synopsis, key character summary, and three recent comp titles is Paul McLeod. Is that how it works? I've been wondering. I was going to ask you all these questions soon, actually. Yeah, you know, um, you actually, you could get a much more technical view from uh, asking my wife, who's who's actually done it. Um, ah, I've only yes. read them. Um but yeah, the recent you got to have those recent comps, books like it that have uh, oh. sold well. I see. You can't pick um, uh, the unbearable lightness of being as a as a no? comp. No. Well, you could say it's like that, but you can't be like, and that's why it's going to sell well now. <laughs> Don't worry. My comp is uh, Confessions of an Opium Eater. That's a that's a good one. <laughs> it's not at all, actually. Actually, if I had to pick one ridiculous comp that actually is somewhat there, it's the Maltese Falcon. Um, so <laughs> that's not going to get me over the hump, I don't think. I don't think I've ever read that book. Is it a book? It is a book. Yeah. Yeah. Dashiell Hammett. Yes. Uh, very good. I highly recommend it um very easy to read it's uh it's an i think it's good just because it's got um to my knowledge is a fairly rare narrative device of just absolutely zero description of anything that is not physically happening in the setting of the book so nothing interior whatsoever 
Ah, interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Down to the point that you, you, there's a lot of descriptions of facial, you know, expressions as a result of that uh, <laughs> to try to <laughs> to try to wow. um, convey things. Yeah. And now I'm exactly. fascinated. Yeah, it's a it's definitely an interesting literary technique. It's a good book. Nice. Yeah. I was worried that your comp was going to be. Uh, the ones that would worry me the most most would be Naked Lunch. Um, mm, that'd or, be bad. Um, uh, um, Sidar- unbearably loud and incredibly close. <laughs> oh well, that would just be okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to think like where you're trying to write a good novel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. If I not like okay, Step Steppenwolf would be another one that would be or kind of worry me. Anything by uh-huh. Herman Hess. Yeah, um, none of that. Yeah. Or no, um, literary crime fiction is the genre you're thinking of. So that would or, be or the, 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 what I'm going for. Here. Okay. See that that yes. Okay, that's good. That there's I feel like there's probably some bad ones in that, but I'm not I'm not as uh up yeah. on my 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 crime fiction subgenres. Well, I'm not at all. I'm going to be completely fucked on coming up with comps. That's what uh, if there if agents still exist, I figure that's what they can help with. No, but you have to pitch it to the agent. Yeah, that makes sense. That's so that's that's where you're. Yeah. That's where all this comes in. Yeah, yeah, once you get an agent, I, I thought you, you might know, say that. Once you get an agent, your book is basically published. That's that's not yeah. true, but um, uh, got it for more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tune into my uh, outdated literary advice podcast um, <laughs> called book, uh, book Blog Review. I don't know. Whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, book blogs, man. Still, book bloggers may be the most important remaining bloggers. That makes uh, sense. That's the that's the the audience that would still be on blogs. Or I guess there's also the fi- like the the financial bloggers that like. Oh other, yeah, yeah. They're probably number one, and like book bloggers culturally. I bet they're all going to go to Substack though, because you that's true. The, yes, the, the genre where you're going to be able to get people to pay. You know. Yeah, I don't know. You're going to get, but then all of them are going to get thrown off of Substack for not being woke enough. Oh, is that what's going on? Is Substack? I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually don't know. I don't know. But well, the problem is like. <clears throat> Subs- you know how this goes yeah whether or not substack as a company is like woke oriented they have a critical mass of people writing for them that are uh yes. ready to like leave on en masse if they yeah if uh, they don't deplatform correct right yeah correct um i see yeah well, I mean, at some, I think, at this point, I think we probably are heading toward, um, if not like two separate webs, like a web where a lot of major services um, are sort of duplicated for different political audiences because they've just decided they can't hang out with each other on the same platform anymore. Um, at least one side has. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, especially with the amount of... Um you know that uh, these big tech companies now like control the backbones of the internet and the actual space where things are hosted it's just like i don't where's the second internet gonna exist oh Um, it's not no no you you misunderstand (laughs) it's this this like duplication is going to be like you know both run by uh you know standard powers that be type uh monoliths um, just marketed to different audiences. Oh yes, got it. Yeah, that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. They they might actually just clone Twitter on the back end, reskin it, and then say, "Hey, it's Twitter for alt right dickheads." That is actually like the best idea. Twitter should just start like Twitter for horrible people, not horrible mm-hmm. for what you know. Yeah, dickheads. Fine. Twitter for dickheads. And just Honestly, be like, the way you should do is you should go the other way. You should do that. You should create it for the nice people, um, and then mm. all the libs will like flee there to avoid the contagion of the places where they exist now. Um, the oh. trick is you would have to keep the trolls out. So I don't know. Well, that's easy because then you just make it Twitter for like blue check marks only, 
Yeah. So like only people who can tweet are blue check marks and it's just this furious battle to be able to talk there. There And then like regular Twitter is just like left open. Yeah, to complete cycles. (laughs) Trump's back without a check mark. Just (laughs) (laughs) posting. How do we know he's not? (laughs) God, that would rule. Somebody, somebody who knows him should just like give him, you know, some egg account that he can tweet into and just like tell him that people are listening. You know, I'm really, uh, I'm really torn. Paid I mean, bots to put like a million likes on each tweet and stuff like that. Yes, I, you know, I'm really torn. I, I do miss, I miss the humor of his tweets. Oh, they're the best. Uh, it they I I especially if he were to if if someone were to, uh convince him to go back only for cultural commentary like pop culture commentary and like so he mm. like he's like i'll come like twitter lets him back but he can't talk about politics he could only yeah, talk about how tell- disgusting the grammys are for not you know for not yeah. recognizing taylor swift's genius or something like that yeah how ugly barbara walters is now or something like <laughs> yes that. exactly like we gotta let him back for that <laughs> trash <laughs> so good um <laughs> uh the haters and the losers tweet the best tweet all mm-hmm. time oh the top 10 tweets of all time are basically like him and drill that's it yes yeah it's like it's like six trump three drill and one horse ebooks or something like that yes they're the only people who know how to use twitter <laughs> <laughs> uh indeed um i wonder if our i guess i haven't been on our savage beast twitter for a long ass time i've had some hot takes but i just can't i can't bring myself to to engage in music hot takes um yeah exactly especially just hurling them into the void after not doing anything on a while for a while on the account mm -hmm. uh probably not gonna work that well it's Uh, kind of fun to hurl them into the void in the way that's true that's true yeah um I don't know, Joe. We need to just go black hat with our digital marketing and uh, get this podcast out there. I thought this whole uh, podcast was black hat. That was the point. <laughs> I know. I, I'm ready to be fully black hat now. Five years in, I'm ready for the dark side. Um, uh, let's let's talk about uh, a, um, a, a man who probably wears <laughs> uh, a black hat. Um uh, <laughs> But that's because he's fucking cool. Mad Lib. Um, oh, yeah. Who released his first. Uh, his f- what uh, people are calling his first solo album, which is that's ins- that's not it's, true. It's a very <laughs> that's false. I guess he considers it that because it's like it's a very technical definition. Like it's not. He doesn't consider like his alter ego like rap albums to be solo albums. Uh-huh. And he doesn't consider his beat tapes to be albums. Okay, I guess if you don't count if you count everything before this with the Mad Lib name as a beat tape, then I guess so. Yes, or this, I, yeah, or maybe I feel like some of them might be the solo albums of his alter egos. Yeah, I mean, some of them are like so, Quasimodo. I order, I own a couple of Quasimodo albums. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe there know. really isn't anything that really counts. I'm looking at his Wikipedia discography right now. Um, yeah, when you think about it, it's just like what's uh, what's like Mad Villainy, but just him. It's like, well, that's not really out there until this. Yeah, I guess so. I'm thinking of like uh, Shades of Blue. Um, yeah, that's like a does mix. that not count? I don't. I don't. Apparently not, because apparently that's not like his muse. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, not, it's maybe I mean, that's it's too samples. heavily sampled. Yeah, it's. I don't. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know why that wouldn't count, but. Uh, yeah. um, so let's listen to Sound Ancestors. Uh, yes. Which is an album, uh, Mad Lib's solo album, um, even though the album <laughs> was uh, produced and uh, seemingly mixed and arranged by Fortet. Um, yeah, it's a it's a Mad Lib album. Um, Here we go. <laughs> 
Yeah, Road of the Lonely Ones by Mad Lib, Off Sound Ancestors. Uh, yes, sir. It's a great track, uh, as basically every track Mad Lib has ever made is is great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there aren't, I mean, I think there are probably about a thousand more tracks that could be great if sort of edited into something like Fortet did us all the favor of here. Yes. Because I would imagine the problem with, with Madlib is like, he makes a billion cool little grooves and then turning it into a whole song is, you know, a whole <clears throat> other process. And I think Fortet took that, uh, took that, that task upon him. Thanks to him. Yes, Paul, that was my, with this album, that was my point uh, precisely, is that um, Mad Lib sticks with an idea for like 45 seconds, and mm-hmm. Fortet stand, tends to stick with it for like five and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, so when you average that out, and you've got Mad Lib samples um, with uh, what I think are some of Fortet's like signature little acoustic beeps and bloops back there. Yeah, I don't know if he's adding beeps and bloops, but I feel like he... I w- I, my theory was that he was picking the beeps and bloops that sound Fortet-y that yes. he clearly loves. Yes, you know? <laughs> that could totally be it. Um, yeah. When you when you find that, when you put those things together over like two and a half minute songs that uh, are cohesive, awesome, often with a few changes, sometimes dramatic changes within yeah. them, but... You know, it's it's a cohesive album uh, that um, has a a unique Mad Lib sound to it. You know, it it fe- it doesn't feel like it's just remixed blues, and it doesn't feel like a um, like it's made specifically for to you know for people to rap over. It's just Mad Lib's musical voice. Yeah. Um, um. It's basically the best possible uh, version of lo-fi beats to chill and study to. Um, yes, yes. Like that as fine art. <laughs> yes, if someone um, <laughs> gave the girl in that YouTube like a ton of drugs and like said make an album and she kind of like <laughs> ascended several planes after listening to that music for, you know, four years straight. Uh-huh. Uh, as she's in that sort of purgatory that she's in in the video and she just bursts out she would make this album yes ooh uh, have we ever talked about the uh fortet remixes of uh mad villain tracks well we certainly listened to them together um, okay good just making sure <laughs> <laughs> yes those they're awesome because I didn't even make that connection that that sort of happened almost 20 years ago until just now. And so I wanted to make sure that everybody knew about that. Because those rule. Yeah, they've apparently, they, you know, they've obviously been friends for a long time. And there's just this community of, yeah. like, produ- like, you know, these, uh, these, these producers um, that make the... Uh, um intellectual beat tapes but what's what's a uh, what's dj shadows genre called oh well idm is what apex twin called it but that's right. a little bit more yeah electronicy um dj shadow uh i think he i mean he probably would i'm sure he would say he just wants to be hip hop um is there a name for that there probably was. There probably some very pretentious um, name in the mid nineties. Do 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 do. But yeah, Fortet, like on rounds, he was very much more in that mold and has sort of drifted away from it. And uh, yeah, now it's like you said, he's sort of bringing his uh, sort of um, dynamic and compositional ideas to uh, Mad Libs. Sounds. Yeah. Well, I guess that's I- great. I was gonna say it's no surprise that they're like friends with, they're friends with Nigel Godrich and yeah, uh, you know, it's just this this uh, Apex Twin. If, yeah, if Apex, Apex Twin, Twin and yeah. Madlib ever made something together, which probably wouldn't work and doesn't make any sense, but if they did, I would shit myself. Just I would actually stop what I was doing and arrange 
a podcast recording session with you and then shit myself on air so <laughs> yes. that it could be recorded. I think a big thing. I, I, <laughs> that, yes. Well, now it has to happen. I just I feel like these producers like we see these things that way, but I think they just have to be coaxed into it so like carefully. Yeah. And well, I mean, it's actually pretty intimate. Being like, "Hey, bro, can I like?" put my fingers all in your stuff uh, right and, you know I, I get it that's probably where drugs help you know it a lot of these collaborations are surely birthed at 2 30 in the morning when everybody is coked out of their minds and yeah just talking well, how great it would about all this stuff actually from my understanding it's a little more now they're all like pretty well off so that's birthed over like they go out and have like 200 bottle uh, $200 <laughs> bottles of wine in like surely yes <laughs> return to their like cliffside houses <laughs> I mean yeah. I saw like footage of Madlib's house and I'm like oh yeah Madlib uh, it's it has a lot of money of I mean he's produced Kanye tracks like yeah. once you get on the <laughs> the royalties from that like you are doing great yeah um, um, he was in some like Porsche commercial and I was like this ah. is weird but okay, yeah. good for you, Mad Lib. Hey, I got no problem. It's later in life. He gave us. He's given us over two decades of great music. It's hard to really complain. You gotta always um, put the Isaac Brock filter on, where it's like you know, <laughs> it's like okay, you go work at the grocery store. <laughs> um, but um, what was I gonna say? Shit. Oh well, it will come back, or it won't, and it doesn't matter. Take that big shit either way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, no. The Apex uh, lib. Something. Of, yeah, Apex lib. That'd be that's pretty good. Mm. Mad twin. Mm-hmm. Oh, these are good. Yep. I feel like that's the direction it goes. <laughs> Creative geniuses here. <laughs> Let's call the combo Apex lib. Honestly, that's what they do. There was Mad Villain, and then there was Danger Doom when he when mm-hmm. Ma- Ma- Doom got with Danger Mouse, and uh, there have been one or two others, I'm sure. Um, and who are we to who are we to stop them? Uh, unless we can take away all their weed, nobody. Correct. Um, so yeah, check out that Mad Lib album. It's real good. Um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, Paul, what else do we have? <laughs> oh, wait, before we move on, I yeah. do want to point out, I'm looking at Mad Lib's discography Wikipedia page, and it, right beneath the headline photo, it says Studio Albums 24. So, yeah, I, I guess they're all collabs, but still, it's hard to call it a debut. Uh, <laughs> Only the <laughs> first solo album, not a debut. I feel like okay. first solo. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Mad Lib, still good. Mm-hmm. Um, a great a great album to uh, chill and study, relax to. Yeah, love to relax while I'm studying. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. It can work with your studying while you're relaxing. I think in that order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, we gotta uh, take a break from music for a second and mm-hmm. uh, wrap up. Uh, what I think has been a three-episode arc of talking about The Sopranos, <laughs> um, even though it has precious little to do with music. Yeah. It, who cares, dude? We're just talking about stuff. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I'm not saying I care. I didn't think you did. But I was just, for the listener's sake, engaging in a colloquy on the matter. You know, there are rules, and I hate to break mm-hmm. them. <laughs> <laughs> Unless your camera's on. I don't know. Why well, it's just... Yeah, if you want to hear our Mad Men discussion, you got to go to our OnlyFans. <laughs> that's when we monetize this podcast. That's what we're doing it through only, just like for no reason. Just like that's yeah. what you have to do to get the, the extra episodes are just OnlyFans videos. Yeah, they're just videos of black screens, or you know, maybe like uh, we'll find we'll find some sort of. AI bot that just generates video for you from whatever it finds on the internet. No, I actually and, uh, then the the audio. 
what I picture is sort of a uh, like vaporwave style, like four seconds of like an odd clip from from a porn Ah. video just like playing on loop with a weird color filter yeah and you can't actually even see anything but it seems like maybe you could if you looked at it just right yes there's like a a, this thrusting motion in it Mm -hmm. and an oblong object that could just be digital artifacts and in meanwhile it's us (laughs) the audio the audio is like (laughs) us us arguing about like uh um, you know, which Pisces Iscariot track is <laughs> the most forward thinking. <laughs> okay, well, that's it. Uh, you're all going to have to go to OnlyFans for the next episode. <laughs> um, we got to move on before I try and answer that question. Um, uh, the Sopranos. Paul, yes. you, you finished rewatching it recently, mm-hmm. and I have been kind of uh, inspired by what is actually the best podcast of all time, Talking Sopranos, um, which is like three hours, just three hours a week of Michael Pirioli and Steve Shrippa, um, kind of like making fun of each other and telling stories about like being on The Sopranos is, is the best podcast that could exist. Well, wait, wait. Um, so they're like still making this on an ongoing basis. Cause I knew about this podcast, but I assumed it was like one of these limited series. We run through every episode and then it's done for everyone to just listen to it. They're about, um, I think they're about 60% of the way through because they've been doing oh, it okay. weekly. they like took a break at the holidays. So they've been doing it for a year or so, but there's what 70 something episodes. You know, I think the thing about the show is that they, they were, um, serious friends in like a way like in a, a like we have a uh, a family here and there was seems to be a lot of insane drinking mm. uh, that took place there was one um, in the scene in the episode uh, where Ralphie is killed um, mm-hmm. for instance Michael Imperioli was saying there's there's a scene where you may you may you I'm sure you remember this where they actually like go to this cliffside and like throw his head yeah and like over a cliff into the water and so apparently they got there like in the afternoon because they had to rig up all the lights and stuff Mm -hmm. for you know like it's like a big like outdoor shot at night and James Gandolfini came in and I think one of the crew was there with Michael Imperioli. Like he just like brought a bottle, a full <laughs> bottle of whiskey, and they just like killed it. And that's and the PA was like, okay, you got to come and do the scene. So they're just like hammered. In so the they're scene. hammered. And apparently, when they're at the cliffside, they were like, they're gonna fall over the cliff. So they're actually like, they're chained at the ankle, like back to a truck, like in case they fall over the cliff. <laughs> That's great. That's, this is the that's kind what of thing. I There's hear. like stories like that in every episode. Oh, it's very so good. good. And then they also like Steve Shripa is like a very typical like I just got to say like fat guy like kind of like loving life but taking no bullshit. Because yeah. he used to be like a bouncer in Vegas before he was an actor. So he like uh, his his philosophy on life is yeah. Um, greatly entertaining mm-hmm. i can i can already imagine how sort of uh, uh earthy it is yes indeed and there and since michael pirroli is now like a uh like vegan buddhist it's a really nice oh, really? contrast yes <laughs> oh man so different from chris <laughs> yes yes uh-huh. So highly recommend that podcast, but Paul, I think uh, you you've you've rewatched the ending. We've argued mm-hmm. about the ending. Uh, every mm-hmm. podcast should have an episode where they talk about the ending of The Sopranos. For sure. Um, what do you um, What do you think? What do you think this time around? What does the series yeah. mean uh, when it comes <laughs> to that ending? Uh. Okay, so my position had been, and we may have argued about this already, um, 
that the show refuses to really specify what happens. So you as a viewer are free to speculate all you want and uh, come up with your own um, interpretation of the text. But um, there is no actual answer to the question of whether uh, Tony dies at the end or not. Um, so I guess in a sense, I still think that's true. It is left open enough that you could have whatever decision you want. But my view changed in that um, uh, I'm much more into the uh, a particular interpretation where he does die. So therefore, uh, in my view, he dies. Yeah. Um, what... Um, what what coaxes you to that interpretation? Yeah, it's just like uh, so. Basically, just a better a better understanding of the narrative arc of the show, um, and of you know, the character arc of Tony, which are ultimately somewhat tie- pretty pretty closely intertwined. Um, whereas before, I watched it like you know in fits and starts over the course of years as it came out uh, partially, and then didn't watch the final half season until years later. Um, this, that really wasn't apparent. I had forgotten, uh, the way things are going. When you watch it all at once in a row, um, the, the transformation of Tony, uh, at each step of the way kind of makes a lot more sense and is going in what, uh, I read as a more coherent, um, a coherent arc, a coherent uh, uh, statement about how a man can be, basically, um, and uh, and my that interpretation is um, just you know it's not like the most um, uh, novel idea ever, but just uh, the idea of somebody winning and uh, you know being bound and determined to accomplish something, uh, sacrificing pretty much everything on the way and eventually getting uh, getting to the top and finding out what that's like. This is kind of the oldest story in gangster stories and in many others besides uh, Richard III, whatever. Um, Macbeth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, it's just about, you know, A, how well it's done in the particular case and B, how much, how much you know, it's sort of uh, this, this old story can be made to become a prism for the times it exists in. Um, when it's retold anew. And I think on yes, both yes. of those counts, Sopranos crushes. Absolutely. I mean, I think it it uh, is a show that really defies um, the conventional approach to even the most complicated shows before and after it in that there is a um a continuing depth to it that i think is even goes beyond the understanding of like the creator and the actors um mm-hmm. because it tapped into such a fundamental truth of our time now with as you said using this this story um yeah. and found a way to tell it that you can really endlessly uh you know keep overlaying it on top of what's going on in american society and yeah, american america, consumer culture yeah exactly america if, if if the sopranos was describing its time then america is sort of like in the middle of the hangover of all the coke it did during that time <laughs> so yes. it definitely remains relevant <laughs> yes totally i mean i think what really uh my interpretation of the ending has changed and i think uh, i used to be just it was just sort of a question of whether tony died or not and i was was on the fence and um a little more towards that he died i think you know mm-hmm. the way the shot is the shots are set up yeah kind of show that arc and you know for a long time that i, I thought that the the repetition of the clip where you know, he says, uh, just all where, uh, I think it just goes black. You don't hear anything. Mm-hmm. Can't forget the exact, but the fact that they replay that was like meant to be 
um, yeah. prepare you for the way that, that the shot would go. But, yeah. you know, I heard, I watched it again, and I, I also heard David Chase of the Talking Sopranos podcast say that um, the only theme that he went into it with was a, a criticism of American consumer culture. Like, that was the only thing kind of in his mind as he started in mm-hmm. terms of themes. And I just, I think when you go back and look at it, so much of like, like Tony Soprano is an absolute monster. Yeah. And that like the ways you empathize with him aren't, aren't actual like positives about him. They're not like, um, you know, it's not like about good character. It's just the ways in which you are flawed like him, like in the ways in which your actions are also can be, you know, uh sociopathic yeah i'm well yeah self-centered another way to to say that i think is um it works the way all stories do that like you know you become you identify with the protagonist just because like you're experiencing his or her struggle like you're seeing the obstacles in any story like that that's why every story is like that um is just you know it becomes fascinating if it's told well enough and you you can't help but root for the person you're you're watching, even if at the time you're like, obviously, uh, on any <laughs> by any external measure, I should want I should not care who wins this gang conflict and or want Tony to lose probably. Um, but uh, yeah, but I guess well, let me let me just to finish the thought. Yeah, um, that uh, the way that the narratives can sort of like. Uh, co-opt you like that um sort of i think the what it reveals is the way that you are co-opting your own self (laughs) all the time uh like you know basically um maybe in your own life you are some version of tony soprano not that great of a guy or interesting or cool and um you know this that same illusion is affecting is in effect to make you um root for yourself in effect and so it's totally uh, yes yeah well yeah and i think what that it's where like um our uh sin is there is not that we necessarily root for you know tony's actions we're not like supportive of tony's actions but most of us are in a way supportive of him having the right to earn his living that way or to like or to live not earn his living but like live this way because we want to have you know those same twisted permissions that same like freedom that is Mm. you know violent and uh, self-centered and consumerist like open to us in in certain ways and if the price is that we have to like allow tony soprano the dignity of like psychoanal psychoanalysis and recovery <laughs> then so be it but that's like a it's like a true crime that like this this monster mm. The golem of like american consumerism as expressed very early on in the show um is we allow it to exist yeah that's interesting yeah i um sorry let me go back over that in my mind a little bit um that uh yeah i mean there's definitely that sort of alluring aspect of you know uh wanting to enjoy the fun side of becoming evil you know Mm -hmm. and that feeling of not having to give a shit about being good um which is, you know, big big psychic friction all the time, trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. Um, if you don't have to worry about that anymore, maybe it would be great. Um, yeah. <laughs> but also, actually, Tony shows how it's not. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, for me, it's like, um, yeah, there is that sort of, there is that sort of element of, yeah, wanting, wanting him to, wanting, rooting for Tony because, you know, uh sometimes it's cool to be evil but um at the same time like when i was re-watching it maybe it's because i'm older now like 
I'm pretty pretty able when I'm watching just like reprehensible protagonists, which is most of what I watch probably not most of but a lot. Um, you know, pretty easy to just be like, wow, this is some terrible shit. <laughs> this person is awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that was my reaction throughout most of <laughs> the rewatching of The Sopranos, which didn't. And it, what was interesting is, is that I was feeling that and like feeling, you know, actually physically repulsed by a lot of what he does. Um, and yet, you know, you do still want him to win versus like Phil Leotardo, who, you know, granted is set up as being an even worse piece of shit than Tony. Yeah. Um, but well, um, yes. Yeah. Although there's some, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that he's not set up as like sort of a, in some ways, like an evil piece of shit. That's like in that, like he must be that way in response to Tony. Oh yeah. Like Tony cre- sort of creates his own problems with New York a little bit. Yeah. Um, that ultimately are central to the way that his life just does not work out. Um, but uh, whether he lives or dies at the end, I guess that's the other thing, by the way, I wanted to say about the ending is like, yeah, well I favor an interpretation that he dies. I actually think it kind of doesn't matter because even if he lives, the point is he could be shot that next moment, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether he died that moment, whether we as the viewers saw his final moment or got cut off, you know, uh, five, ten, thirty years before his final moment. Every time he goes to any restaurant, it could happen. Yes, all the time for sure. <laughs> and, and he knows it, and it sucks. And I think that for me, what it became is that it's not just that he knows it; it's that like we all know it, and that's where mm-hmm. I started with this like initial kind of amateurish view that that's like, oh, maybe like. Occurred to me, maybe the viewer is being like killed here, which would be very <laughs> postmodern, you know. But I was like, that's well, a very that's a very Reddit theory right there. It is, although it does in a sense happen. Like yeah. you do, you do suddenly your view of this world ends in blackness. Yeah. But I think what it, it's come to me is that like it's like not about Tony living or dying, but just that all who are participating in the project around him are like all are punished. Like, yeah. You oh, know? exactly. And, and everyone who's like, Oh, I want to, I support like acquiring and defending like stuff through violence. Um, yeah. Is, is brought to an end where it's like, I hope, like, I hope you enjoyed it because there was nothing else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You won <laughs> like, like, no, Tony won. And, uh, you know, like he really did. He beat Phil. He won. He lived uh, at least, you know, potentially up until that last moment. And besides the threat of imminent death at all times that he still has to live under and prosecution, uh, there's also the fact that, you know, like that what really drove it home the second time watching through was the final scene where they're outside Satriales and Polly agrees to, you know, be his conciliary or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to promote Polly. And you're just like, Polly is the, like, he's the funniest character of all time, but he's yes. also the worst piece of shit of all time. Yeah. He's a terrible person, not even gangster good, uh, frequent, trying to betray Tony pretty much all the time um, and causing a lot of problems as a result. And that's the only friend he has left. It's yeah. the last guy. Yeah. And he's not even that yeah. competent, which is why he wasn't promoted to this job beforehand. Um, and uh, yeah. I, I really do hope you enjoyed it, Tony, because all your friends are dead. Yes, that is a yes. The last person left being Polly is is definitely a deliberate choice. Yes. Yeah. And then them having this classic Tony being fed up with how fucking stupid and self selfish Polly is conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess I think it, it makes sense that's why David Chase like is is seems so purposefully cagey on the is Tony dead or alive? Yeah, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, and he's like he's like sort of like you, and he can't say it doesn't matter because like then that will matter. It's like more about he's like no people have to, people like, would be so mad at him if he said that. <laughs> yes, but like, and I think he like I I do think that if you know if the one thing I know is that he was like, ah, oh, this is going to get canceled after one season. So he planned to end the first season that way. Mm. And I think that, that it's, it's part of that is that he's like, he wants it to not 
like matter and wants you to like have to come to that realization that like mm-hmm. there's something totally meaningless about all of this story or like yeah that that is like the darkness and what's meaningful about it to me is that you get to watch tony have that realization like he kind of knows on some level how bad it is um not even i don't think he kind of knows on some level he totally knows that's what his kevin finnerty episode is that's what vegas is is him just like getting the perspective of realizing like oh fuck the kevin finnerty episode is the one i was most happy to rewatch because that episode like just completely threw me yeah Um, i just love i love how there will be whole episodes of (laughs) dream sequence bullshit like just the most obnoxious things that everybody complains about it it's so great we need to do a dream sequence episode of this podcast (laughs) we did it happened in portland and we got really stoned oh yeah that was that is that pretty much does count yes (laughs) oh boy okay paul it's it's almost it's uh Past twelve thirty here on the East Coast. Oh yeah, we put in a shift for sure, bro. We did, for sure. Um, yes. Thank you, everybody, for coming back to Savage Beast. Yes, for joining us at our uh, reunion TikTok show. <laughs> I don't even know. What that oh, we still mean. have Radiohead TikToks to go over next time. You know, we're just gonna wait until they announce whatever they announce, and then talk about that. Oh yeah! Uh, everyone, exactly. go. Everyone, including Paul, go watch Radiohead's TikToks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and check us out on iTunes and all that stuff. You can check us out on social too, and you know we're not going to. I got to get the Instagram back going. I find yeah. some good music memes these days. I'm going to do that. Damn it! Yeah, and once once live music is a thing again, you know that's fun to post. Yeah, we'll speaking do it. of which, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll speak of this next time because it'll still be relevant. Anyway, good night. Okay, good 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 night. <laughs> uh, we hope. None of it's relevant. Oh, good. Good. Went to black.